you get hit by the pitch and you don't want to go to first base. So first of all, can you clear this up once and for all? Did you get hit? Yes. I had already hit three home runs that day, and I basically owned Hasengawa. And I knew first pitch, I said, okay, he's going to come up and in, and I'm just going to sit there and take. And, you know, he ended up hitting me, and I was like, well, I want a chance to get four homers. I, I never had a chance. Uh, I've had one other chance to get four homers in a game. And I was like, and I told the rep, I was uh, umpire, I was like, I'm not going to first base. I was like, I want to, I, I want to hit. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode number 222 of the Chris Rose Rotation, a production of John Boy Media. I got to tell you, I love doing this show. Um, it, it allows me to introduce you to some people that I've gotten to know over the years. And this is a guy who really made me fall in love with baseball in the mid-90s in Cleveland, Ohio. As you can see, I ordered his number eight jersey back in the day. And I am thrilled to have with us today for the first time, Albert Bell. Albert, it's good doing? to see you. Good. How are good you, man? To see you, man? I'm doing pretty good. Yeah. See, people roll around still with number eight. I just want to tell you, I was in Cleveland recently. I see him all the time at Guardians games. You know that. Yes. Yeah. You know what? They uh, they still stick to the uh, you know the old school jerseys. Uh, you know the '90s brought back some. Uh, you know there were some great memories for um, you know when you were younger. Um, you know, families used to bring, you know, come to the ballpark, bring their, you know, kids and stuff. And, uh, you know, we started winning and, uh, you know, we made history and made a lot of great memories. And and people, uh, you know, still talk about, you know, those memories nowadays. Uh, I have a couple of neighbors uh, that are from Cleveland and I see them walking around and uh, they, they still love the 90s. Now, what the heck do you think that's like for your neighbors when they're rolling around out in Arizona where you live and they're like, Albert Bell's living down the street. You know what? When I see them, they have their Cleveland Browns, you know, gear on. Uh, they're diehard, you know, Cleveland sports fans. Uh, you know, they got tired of the, the snow and they retired and move out here to the warm weather. And, uh, you know, even though today is kind of overcast, a little chilly, uh, but we love that this time of year. All right. So I'm curious, and I'm sure a lot of people are. What do you do with your time these days? Well, you know what? Um, after I was done playing, you know, I settled down, got married, uh, started a family. Um, I have three daughters, uh, two in high school. And, you know, my youngest one is 13. She's in eighth grade. So it's pretty much a full-time job with, uh, you know, teenage girls. And, uh, you know, I keep them busy. Uh, they're they're straight-A students. Uh, they play multiple sports. And, you know, right now there's about – four or five weeks before uh, track season start and their own uh, club soccer break. So they're, they're busy. Any of them baseball or softball players? You know what? Uh, they wanted to, um, you know, when they were younger, but then when they saw like, like, wow, there's a lot of standing around, like we don't like that. So, you know, they love basketball moving around. They love track. Uh, they love soccer. So, uh, baseball really wasn't kind of in the cards for them. They, they like to move around and keep busy. Got it. Got it. Um, let's talk a, a little bit about your your upbringing. Everybody has always told me Albert Bell was one of the smartest, not just hitters, people they were ever around. You graduated uh, from your high school in Louisiana with about 250, 260 other kids. You were number six 
on the graduating number list. Is that accurate? Six. Yes, that's accurate. Okay. So what would you be what would you have done, do you think, if you hadn't been able to hit a baseball a mile? Well, you know what? Uh, you know, because both my parents were uh school teachers and they stressed the importance of an education. And I was hitting the books and I wasn't allowed to play sports unless I kept my grades up. Um, I made a lot of A's and B's and I went to college at LSU and I ended up getting a degree in accounting. And I just knew that uh, I love working with numbers. And if something didn't work out, you know, I would have, you know, been a CPA, uh, you know, in an, in an office and, um, but, you know, it worked out where, uh, you know, I, I got a couple breaks here and there and, and uh, ended up playing professional baseball. And, you know, once I was done playing, um, in order for me to play professional baseball, I had to make a promise to my parents that I would go back to college and finish and get my degree. And I did. Um, so I do have a degree in accounting. And, um, you know, I've shared some of that uh, knowledge with my daughters. And they love accounting, so um, they want to go to college. Um, they want to either be in finance or accounting or, you know, business analytics. So um, they're pretty sharp kids. Um, they decided they didn't want to play college sports, and they, they'd rather uh, hit the books. Nothing wrong with that, by the way. So I'm curious, did you do your own accounting when you played? No. Uh, actually, my brother, uh, my, my twin brother, uh, he graduated fifth in the class and we were at an LSU together. Uh, he ended up uh, getting his degree in accounting. Uh, he was in corporate America for a while. But, um, you know, we had always talked about the idea of you know him being my business manager. And uh, he became my business manager in 1997 um, after I signed. Uh, with the White Sox and, you know, he managed, you know, managed my money and stuff. And uh, he just told me to go out focus on baseball and he'll take care of all the business, read all the paperwork, uh, do all the deals. And uh, it worked out pretty well. I got to tell you, if my twin brother graduated fifth in the class and I finished sixth, I don't know what I would have done. Really? <laughs> you know what? It, you know, we were very competitive, you know, growing up, but we always pushed each other in a positive way. We weren't, you know, very combative where we were trying to, uh, you know, hold each other down. We always trying to push forward and, and, and to be better. Uh, you know, that was a great thing about in college, you know, having a twin, you know, he was my roommate. You know, we played baseball. So um, after we'd study, we'd go over to the stadium late night. And, uh, you know, we'd practice on the baseball fields and some of our teammates uh, would come over and practice. And, and the coach, uh, he didn't have a problem. He loved it. Uh, you know, we weren't out like, you know, running and partying in college. Uh, not so much uh, after our freshman year, uh, freshman years, <laughs> fun times. But, uh, you know, our sophomore and junior year, you know, we buckled down and, uh, you know, we wanted to make LSU a top-notch program in the country, and we ended up becoming number one. But uh, we had some some players that were committed, and, and they worked hard. And, you know, that program, they, they worked us pretty hard. And, you know, our coach told us that when you leave LSU, you're going to be fundamentally sound and learn how to play and know how to play baseball. Albert, I'm curious, because the scowl that you had when you went to the plate is infamous, right? 
Like today's yes. generation is learning about it because they'll see all your highlights on YouTube. I lived through it because I saw your entire career. When did, I mean, were you mean mugging guys in little league too? You know what? I, it must've happened in, in college, um, you know, and uh, maybe in the minor leagues or something, uh, you know, actually minor leagues wasn't very uh, fun times, you know, it, it's tough down in the minors, but you know, it's worth it when you get to the major leagues, but, uh, I, I never really realized I was doing that, uh, you know, until, until I got to the big leagues, but, uh, you know, in a little league, when we were pretty much winning just about every game, I was probably all smiles all the time. <laughs> I think we only lost like a couple games over the course of a few years, but, uh, you know, then in high school, you know, baseball became competitive and, uh, probably got the scout from football cause we were a decent team, but we got pretty roughed up, um, pretty good, but. Uh, you know, the same players we saw in football, we saw them in basketball, and then we saw them in baseball. And, you know, kids play multiple sports, but uh, probably the scout came from playing football. Yeah. I mean, if you were that tough on the baseball diamond, what the heck were you like on the gridiron? You know what? Um, my senior year, I was um, the quarterback. Um, and my junior year, I started at strong safety, but because I was a quarterback, I got moved to weak safety because my coach didn't want me to do all that hitting. And I was also the punter and the kicker. So I pretty much stayed on the field the whole time. And, uh, you know, those were some great memories. You know, I kicked a few field goals here and there. Uh, you know, we won some games, made the playoffs, but. Uh, you know, and that's the one thing I remember and always cherish about high school is uh, we had coaches that made sure we had a lot of fun. And, you know, they didn't know if we were going to go to college and play sports, but they made sure high school was a fun experience. So my father, who passed away 12 years ago now, you were always one of his favorite. And this is a guy who lived through the Indians last championship in 1948 and was friends with those players and everything. You were always one of his favorite guys because he was like, that dude just means business. It is that simple. Did you have fun playing Major League Baseball? I did. I did. I actually had fun. You know, we had some, you know, some fun guys on the team, whether it was Cleveland, Chicago, Baltimore. Uh, but I just kind of wanted to keep this, you know, kind of tough guy image. Um, but, you know, there's a couple times like, um, you know, you know, when I had some great highlights, you know, hitting the the, home, the game with home runs, you know, there was a lot of laughter and stuff in the locker rooms, but I really didn't show it, uh, you know, out on the field. Uh, but I, I did. I mean, I, I was excited to, to play Major League Baseball every day, uh, cherish playing against, you know, some great players, some legends. They're legends nowadays, um, you know, playing in the old stadium at Cleveland. You know, that that will probably put a scowl on your face pretty quick playing at old stadium. But, you know, the new stadium, you know, was unbelievable. And, and uh, you know, we were, I'm just glad that we were able to provide some great memories for uh, lots of families in that area. Always important to look your best. My hair, it stinks right now. It's why I'm wearing my Guardian's cap. So maybe you're interested in getting a haircut sometime in the near future. Well, do you want a free haircut after this year's big game? That's right. If the big game between the AFC and the NFC's best, if that final score meets or beats 75 points, you could actually win a free haircut at Supercuts 
That's if you register at supercutshighscore.com. You're probably wondering, Rose, why 75? That's because Supercuts has been cutting America's hair since 1975, and 75 just so happens to be the highest ever score in the history of the big old game. So we're looking for the over on the Supercuts high score of 75 points for a chance to catch free cuts at Supercuts salons nationwide. The fact that over 75 hit four times throughout the regular season and last year's big game fell just a couple points shy at 73, that means you got a serious shot at this thing. So head on over to supercutshighscore.com to register, read the terms and conditions, and for eligibility. So once again, register at supercutshighscore.com. You could score a haircut after this year's big game. Go touchdowns! So I'm curious. You said you know you did have a, a great time playing the sport. Do you wish, retrospectively now, that you had allowed yourself to maybe let other people see how much fun you were having? Or could you not have been the player that you ended up being if you had let that guard down? Well, I think what probably kind of gets lost is when I went over to Chicago, um, I sat down, you know, the the owner sat me down and the um, public relations manager, and we just had a conversation and I just told him, I said, look, you know what? I don't have a problem talking with the media I don't want to do it before the game. So, uh, you know, I'm willing to talk to, you know, the especially the local beat writers after the game. You know, it won't be all the time. But, you know, we sat down and we found a schedule that worked. And um, I, I gave out a lot of interviews. Um, so I, I know um, they probably didn't see them back in Cleveland. But between Cleveland, uh, Chicago and Baltimore, I did do a lot of interviews. Um, but I did end up getting burned on a couple of national, uh, you know, interviews with, with some of those guys. So I kind of quit doing those, but like the local guys, the, you know, the beat writers and stuff, they respected my wishes and, and I got along great with them. Um, I'm curious. I want to take you back to your major league debut in, in July of 89. First of all, do you remember how you got called up? Yes. Um, we had just finished having the all-star break and we had a long homestand before the all-star break and Bobby Molinero was my manager and he called me in the office and we were down in Canton, Ohio. Uh, that was the first year the team was there. And he said, he said, listen, he said, all the big guys are coming. He said, they want to watch and see what you can do. Um, so I'm just letting you know, uh, there's a chance you could get called up and skip AAA but they want to see how you play. And I had a phenomenal home stand. And then we had the all-star break, you know, I played in the all-star game. And then we end up traveling to Williamsport. And that was probably about a 12 or 14 hour bus ride. And, you know, it wasn't one, it was probably like a rundown Greyhound that they kind of spruced up a little bit. But as soon as we get to, Williamsport, he calls, Bobby calls me in the office and uh, he says, you know, congratulations, you got called up to the big leagues. And and I was like, oh, okay, that was great. I was like, well, I was hoping they would have told me back when I was in <laughs> Kent, Ohio, so I could just drive like an hour away. And so I had to get a rent a car and, and, and drive back in 14 hours. And then, you know, I saw we were going to play the Rangers. And I was like, I bet you we're going to face Nolan Ryan. and you know, 
sure as you know, sure as hell we did. And I don't think I got much uh, sleep that night, but I was excited. Um, you know, we were in the old stadium. There was, you know, a few thousand fans and, uh, you know, all the players, you know, they came up to me and said hello and congratulate me and, you know, whatever they can do. And, uh, you know, Joe Carter kind of took me under his wings. And but I think it lit, kind of lit a fire under the team because they were like, wow, like they called up a kid from double A. So uh, we better like, you know, put a little pepper in our step. And we actually started playing well. And uh, I think we were about maybe like two games out of first place. And, and this was when, you know, Corey Schneider went on the, uh, you know, at the time it was the disabled list. And, uh, you know, so, you know, Joe Carter got hot. I mean, he had a phenomenal second half. Uh, and we started playing some great baseball. And, and it was fun. It was fun. Yeah, I remember we only were a couple games out going into August. I seem to remember something like that. But I'm curious, when you first stepped foot into the batter's box, and Nolan Ryan is looking at you. What the heck were you feeling? Well, you know what? I was I was like, well, you know, he's he's got the gas. I'm looking for some gas. And uh, he threw me a big curveball, ball one, and big curveball and for a strike. And I got a base hit and an RBI. And, I mean, I was excited. And, I, you know, I wanted to scream and jump up and down. But, uh, you know, I, you know, kept my cool because – you know, you know, I, you know, I knew Nolan Ryan was like, you know, hardcore, you know, pitcher from Texas. And um, I know the second time I came up, it was like fastball strike one, fastball strike two, fastball strike three. But at least I got my three swings in and and uh, but it was it was fun times. You know, we end up winning the game and, and, and you know, beat Nolan Ryan. So, um, you know, we, we were pr off to a pretty good start from there. You still have the ball? Yes, it's at my parents' house in Louisiana. Uh, most of my memorabilia is there. I have a I have a few items here, um, but you know I let I let my mom and dad keep that stuff. They they put it up in the trophy cases, and uh, you know they enjoy it. What's the most important piece of memorabilia you've got from your career? You know what I have I have my um, silver sluggers here. In mm -hmm. Scottsdale, Arizona, I have I have five of them. I have them in a trophy case. Um, I have a um, baseball players uh, award where the players voted on me being the best player in baseball in 1995. Uh, so that means a lot, you know, coming from the players where uh, they thought I was the best player in baseball. So I, I have a few here. Um, I'm not sure. I think my jerseys are in Louisiana and I have some, I have some autographed bats here from guys who eventually got their 3000 hits and, you know, a, a pretty big collection. Pretty good. I like that. So the players voted you as the best player in 1995. The writers did not. It pisses me off. Are you still mad? No, I'm, I'm not. I mean, everybody knows, you know, the story, why, why I, I wasn't, you know, voted the um, most valuable player. But, you know, to, to me, my focus was on, you know, the team was winning. Uh, you know, we had a phenomenal year, uh, you know, got a chance to, to win a pennant in, you know, X number of years, uh, get into the playoffs, you know, get into a World Series and just watch 
the city just light up. I mean, everybody, I think just about every half the people were walking around with Cleveland Indians gear on. Everybody was happy. You know, they were excited. We, you know, we put smiles on faces. And uh, so, so that means more, um, you know, know, to me than anything, you know, baseball is the ultimate team sports. And, you know, in order for me to be successful, you know, I had to have some pretty good teammates around me to have some pretty good success to put me in a position to succeed. And, uh, you know, that 95 team was a special team. Um, you know, I just got a text message from Carlos and Kenny and, uh, they're doing fantasy camp and I didn't even know. And they text me and they were like, why don't you come on over? And I was like, uh, you guys are like way over in Goodyear. It's like, you know, that's a long way. That's a- <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's always good to, to talk to those guys. You know, uh, you know, I don't know when they're coming into town, but I know they'll pop into town, you know, for spring training. So I'll try to get a hold of their schedule and go see them. Um, so for our younger viewers and listeners, they're not going to know, right? Because you lived through this. The rumor was because you weren't nice enough to the media that they weren't voting for you. And so when that didn't happen, when you had such an exceptional year and led Cleveland to its first pennant in 41 years and everything else, did it carry through the next year? I mean, now you're past it. But in 96, did it drive you? You know what? I uh, 96 was my free agency year. And I knew there was a chance that I would probably test the free agency market and probably go to another team. I, I really wanted to come back. Uh, my agent, you know, he was talking to John Hart all the time. You know, they wanted to get a deal done in spring training. Um, we, we tried to get it done. You know, I ended up turning down the deal, but the main uh, thing I wanted was I said, okay, we can negotiate in spring training, but let's not let it leak to the media because if something happens and we don't sign, I'm going to look like the bad guy. So let's keep it under wraps. And they all agreed. It was, it was the owner, uh, Dick Jacobs, John Hart, Dan O'Dowd, and myself and Aaron Taylor. And we had a meeting. And then when we came out of the meeting, like uh, Hoynes was kind of snooping around. And then the next day, it was like, Bill turns down Indians deal. And, and I was like, uh-oh. So, you know, I ended up looking like the bad guy. And I just I just told John Hart, I was like, let's just go in and play baseball and, and uh, you know, try to win this year and, and see what happens. So, um, I, you know, I wasn't happy about that because they had promised not to uh, leak anything to the media, and they did. So just tell me as a uh... – lifelong Cleveland fan once that happened was there any shot you were coming back or that was it well here's the here's the thing about the end of the 95 season we had you know you had a 25 man roster we had 22 guys on the contract Eddie Murray wanted to come back he didn't want to pay he wanted to come back for the same amount it was Paul Sorrento and Kenny Hill they all wanted to come back for the same amount Uh, me Carlos and Kenny we met with John Hart and we was like, John, just bring us back. We will win it all. Same guys. Nobody wants to pay raise well on the contract, you know, sign those three guys and let's do this. And he was like, you know, wow. Like, you know, they didn't want to give Eddie Murray. They wanted Eddie Murray to take a pay cut. 
and he was making like three million dollars, and they they offered him two million dollars, and he was pissed, and that was kind of like the start of the snowball to where uh, we end up trading him. Uh, Sorrento and Kenny Hill left, and we brought in some guys, and it kind of changed our chemistry. And you know, we won ninety nine games, and but we had a losing record against left handed pitching. And um, we were like, okay, John Hart, you got to find us like a left-handed BP pitcher because, you know, in the playoffs, we're going to see nothing but left-handers. And he's like, oh, you know what? We'll worry about that when we get to the World Series. And sure as hell, the first game was against David Wells. We played the Orioles, (laughs) and he beat us. And then uh, we ended up facing him again, and he beat us again, and and we were – packing our bags going home so uh you know just tinkering with the chemistry that much kind of threw everything off and we, you know we just weren't the same and you know i became a free agent and and uh you know my age was like you ever thought about playing for the white Sox?" i'm like no why he's like I, he's like they're interested and and they want to meet with you and i'm like all right, you're you're pulling my leg. He's like, no. He's like, he's like, they want to meet. They're out in Vegas. They want to meet you. And I was like, okay. And I met uh, um, Jerry Reinsdorf and uh, Sh- uh, Schuler uh, was the uh, the GM. Mm-hmm. And we sat down and we just talked. And and um, you know, Reinsdorf was like, hey, you're like you're kind of like a cool guy and stuff. He's like, and I was like, yeah. You probably shouldn't read what you believe all the time, you know, but, you know, I just have to be like a tough guy out there in between the lines. And uh, they end up, you know, working out a deal. And uh, but I really wanted to stay in Cleveland. And so Arn Teller was my agent and he goes up to John Hart. He says, John Hart, we have this deal on the table. Can you match it? And John Hart was like, bullshit you don't have that. And I was like, okay, we're going to sign with the White Sox tomorrow. And he's like, bullshit. And we're like, okay, there we go. Next day, we're flying to um, Chicago, did the interview and, um, you know, I signed with the White Sox. And and then I remember flying home. Uh, when I got home, I guess John Hart had an, um, you know, an, a press conference and he was like, yeah, you know, we knew all along it was like all about the money and, and this and that. And, so that's when I ended up going to Chicago. So I was, I'm going to tell you a little story. I was working at CNN uh, sports when you changed teams. And I was, it was my shift where there was breaking news. Albert Bell, not only leaving, but signing the biggest deal in baseball history. And I, I had to deliver the news as a heartbroken <laughs> Cleveland fan. So I'm like, Albert Bell has signed a five-year, $55 million deal with the White Sox. And here I, I I almost wanted to cry on TV. Is what I wanted to do. <laughs> I was like, it was it was tough. And was you know what? It was it was it was a tough time because you know I lived over in you know Euclid. Uh, I spent the the off seasons in Cleveland. Uh, you know, I I golfed and and hung out with people and and you know got a chance to be involved in the community. Um, you know, I knew uh, the pastor. Uh, Blanton Harper over at um, um, his church on, on in East Cleveland, and so I built some roots in the community, and I really wanted to stay. And um, 
you know, it didn't work out that way and I ended up leaving. But I knew I did not want to spend any winters in Chicago because they were saying the winters are, are worse in Chicago. And and I remember I'd sit at home and I'm watching the golf channel and and you know, I'm out here playing in the snow. I got all my Gore-Tex gear on and the pool carts and and they were like, Yeah, it's sunny in 75 in Scottsdale, Arizona. And like, you know, they're doing all these golf shows, and I'm like, well, why am I sitting here in this cold weather? Like, I could be playing golf in Scottsdale. And uh, spent, I spent a couple winters in Tucson, Arizona. And then I found out most of the baseball players were, you know, living in Scottsdale in the offseason. And then I moved here in the winter of 99 and became a full-time resident in 01. So I'm curious about, you know, it's well-documented what happened the first time you came back. It was a little bit like, when LeBron came back to Cleveland, it wasn't pretty, right? They're throwing the money at you. You gave the gesture, the whole bit. When you told me earlier that that was a, a little bit not who you were, were you sad the way that went down afterward? You know what? I was more angry because I know, uh, I remember when Manny and Tommy game came back, they got like a video tribute. I, kn I know when LeBron came back, you know, he got a nice tribute and, um, mine was different and, you know, I was kind of expecting a, a harsh, you know, a harsh treatment, but, you know, I would, I would have hoped, you know, the fans would have remembered, you know, the great times because we went from perennial losers to now winners. Um, and I, I was, you know, excited to be a part to, to basically turn the organization around. And, uh, you know, it just kind of it just kind of made you feel bad that, you know, they turned on me that quick. And, you know, obviously, you know, everybody knew it was about the money. And like I told people before, I'm like, you know, I'm just basically doing the same thing you're doing. Like you're changing jobs. Like, why did you change jobs? Because and they were like, well, I got a better offer. And I'm like, well, I'm doing the same thing. It's just you know, in baseball and, you know, you're doing it in your, your way of life. So, you know, you shouldn't be too hard on me when, you know, your base, everybody else is doing the same thing. So. Yeah. No. And I agree with you having worked in this industry for 30 years, like I've been heartbroken. I was heartbroken when you left. I was heartbroken when Manny did it. Same with Tommy, same with LeBron. I would never begrudge anybody because I understand the industry. Right. And right. you know, you know that most people don't under, you know, right. We're fans. We buy your, look, I've got your number and I put my name on it because I loved watching you play. Nobody does that for politicians or their favorite businesses. They don't do that. It's like, so we feel like the minute you leave, it's personal instead of something else. So you get it. Yeah, I, I get it. And you know, the, you know, the fans like, you know, I, I'm a diehard Vikings fan and I, I stick by them through thick and thin and, I've seen players come and go and, um, you know, and I, I just stick with them. And I understand why they're leaving. I understand why the organization wants to make a business decision. Um, and, you know, that's part of the game. You know, it's unfortunately, you know, that's how it is. But, you know, it comes down to dollars and cents. And, um, you know, some of the players would love if the team show a little bit more loyalty, but, Sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. So, uh, you know, you just got to make a decision what's best for you and your family and, uh, you know, take advantage of the situation. Um, I want I want to kind of pick your baseball brain for a second here. I've gotten at bat of you during the 95 season 
against future Hall of Fame closer Lee Smith. And this happened in the same week where Manny Ramirez took Dennis Eckersley deep. So I want you to kind of walk through. The bases are loaded. Uh, the Indians are down, I think, two runs in this situation. You remember this at bat? Yeah, of Lee Smith. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. All right, so kind of walk us through. We've got a pitch-by-pitch here. If you can kind of just take us through. Go ahead, Robbie. You can roll that bad boy. Okay, so the reason why I took the first pitch, he had just walked by Erga, and I had never faced him before, so I didn't know where his release point was. And I, you know, and I've seen like all the great hitters, like especially like Wade Boggs and stuff and Tony Gwynn, they'll take the first pitch. And I just wanted to make sure, like, okay, now I know uh, what his fastball looks like, you know, and, and let's kind of go from there. So let's see what the second pitch was. Boom. Okay. I wasn't going to let another fastball go. <laughs> I mean, it was pretty much in the same spot. So, uh, you know, and I think, this, you know, I think he wasted an 0-2 pitch. Yeah, he Put one a little, okay. bit, a little bit outside. Um, yeah, he's he's taking his time and then delivers one a little bit off the plate. Yeah, that was that was um, that was a fastball away. Should be a breaking ball. Yes, and I knew he wasn't going to pretty much throw me a fastball in. And uh, you know, he hung a breaking ball, and I just reacted to it. I thought he was just going to keep throwing fastballs and and try to elevate, you know, up in the zone. And, and he hung that one. And, and um, you know, usually the closer in those situations, they want to get you up their best pitch. And uh, he was just going to kind of show it, you know, his breaking ball and end up, uh, you know, hanging one. And, and uh, I mean, it was right there in the wheelhouse. What the heck is it like when you hit a walk-off grand slam in front of 41,000 people? You know what, that, I mean, that stadium, and the thing about it is like, no one left. Everybody stayed at home. Like, and we just kind of knew, like, you know, even though, you know, we're down to our last, you know, couple outs, we still in this, like you have to get 27 outs, but that was the kind of confidence uh, we developed, uh, you know, in the new stadium, you know, with the, with the new uh, personnel, the new coaching staff. And, and it, we just kind of fed off of each other. Um, you know, everybody was pushing each other. Everybody was so proud to, if, you know, I wasn't a hero one day, Manny was the hero. Uh, we got great pitching. Uh, they were excited to know that they were going to get a ton of run support. And, you know, we had a great mix of homegrown talent that we drafted and developed and we sprinkled in some, some great veterans and we all got together and, uh, you know, it just kind of clicked and we, and we just kind of, you know, snowballed and you could just see the confidence building. And and then pretty much we just became a runaway freight train and just ran over whoever got in the way. We are uh, we're taping this two days after the latest Hall of Fame induction class came out. And your name always pops up at this time of year. I don't know if you if you know this, but on social media, people always talk about what a decade of dominance you had. You left early because of the hip injury. Your counting stats are phenomenal, right? 295, 381 homers, more than 1,200 ribs. But your OPS plus, which, you know, listen, these numbers when you were playing weren't as big a deal as they are today. Your OPS plus was 144. Your OPS all-time, 933. Uh, you had a better OPS than 
Hank Aaron, you had a better OPS plus than Frank Robinson. Does it bother you that you didn't get more Hall of Fame consideration? No, it doesn't bother me. It's probably, you know, the same guys that, you know, voted for me for uh, the MVP. They're probably Hall of Fame votes. But, um, and, and I brought up an interesting, um, you know, statistics on Tony Rizzo because right now, you know, when I watch MLB Network, they're saying that Mike Trout is a first ballot Hall of Famer. And he just finished his 13th year. Um, I played 12 years and my stats are better than his. So, uh, you know, and I'm like, okay, well, you know, before last year, we were, we both had 12 years in the big leagues and my stats are better than his. You know, he has, the, you know, uh, the MVPs. I don't have the MVPs. I had a buddy of mine look up my 1998 stats and he was like, well, how are you not the MVP? And I was like, well, I said, I think Juan Gonzalez had a better year. And he's like, no, he didn't. He's like, I looked it up. He's like, you blew him away. And I was like, I did. I was, and I looked up the stats and I was like, oh, okay. He just beat me in RBIs. He had five more. I had a, uh, 152 and he had 157 RBIs. So, um, but, you know, it, it's, it's always an argument. Uh, but we know, you know, it's pretty much a, you know, popularity contest. Um, I looked up Joe Myers' stats. Um, you know, they they love that hometown, you know, number one draft pick, born in Minnesota, played for the Twins. Uh, um, you know, so they love that. But, you know, Adrian Beltran got the, you know, the 3,000 hits. And, um, you know, it's nice to still be remembered for dominating um, the steroid era in the 90s. And, you know, guys were on steroids and putting up big numbers. And I, I still was able to outperform those guys. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm proud of, you know, you know, playing. I wish I would have played longer. You know, obviously, I think if I would have, you know, I played 12, I'm sure if I would have played 15 seasons, that would have been a different story. But, uh, you know, I don't have any regrets. You know, if they don't, you know, want me in the Hall of Fame, you know, that that's that's no big deal. But um I, I will say this, and I always say this, that I always campaign for Pete Rose to be in the Hall of Fame. Hmm. And I think it's about time for us as a baseball nation to forgive him and, and, and let him enjoy. I mean, when you think about playing 25 years and 4,000 hits and the grind of playing and winning and, you know, it's time for us to let him enjoy his time. Uh, in the, in the Hall of Fame, you know, I would love to see Manfred. I, I would I would love Manfred if he, you know, hey, you know what? Let's forgive him. Let's embrace him. Let's let him have his day where he's just the only one going in the Hall of Fame, and 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 I think that'll be great for baseball. No question. That's always a hot button topic. There's a certain faction that'll say no, no, no. The words are very clearly written there in every clubhouse, which they are. And then there's another faction will say, listen, it's he never bet against his own team. Uh, and he's served his penalty, et cetera. So it's, I mean, you, you could discuss that one for hours. I do think. Right. <laughs> I think that there's no question about that. Um, so you end up getting to Baltimore and you end up hitting a home run in your last at bat there. Once again, there's another 
video that is floating around social media of you recently, just for what for whatever reason, it just popped up. And it's the one where you get hit by the pitch and you don't want to go to first base. So first of all, can you clear this up once and for all? Did you get hit? Yes. Okay, so I think that's uh, Hasengawa. Yep. And I had already hit three home runs that day. And I basically owned Hasengawa. And I knew first pitch, I said, okay, he's going to come up and in. And I'm just going to sit there and take. And, you know, he ended up hitting me. And I was like, well, I want a chance to get four homers. I, I've never had a chance. Uh, I've had one other chance to get four homers in a game. And I was like, and I told the rep, I was uh, umpire, I was like, I'm not going to first base. I was like, I want to, I, I want to hit. And I think it was uh, Matt Wallback. And I was like, Matt, go tell him, you know, throw the ball over the plate. Like, I want to, I want to hit. Like, let's go. I was like, I got a chance to get four home runs. Let's see what Hasegawa can do. And, uh, you know, so Ray came out and, and the umpire was, you know, he was kind of like, well, I, I, well, he's like, I know you kind of want to hit, but I, it's like he hit you. And uh, I said, well, no, just tell him ball one, give him, you know, or give him strike one, either one, pick one. I say, I want to stay in the game and I want to hit. And, uh, yeah. So, you know, it grazed me. It grazed me. And, um, you know. It was it was no big deal. I, sh- I should have I should have gotten out of the way because I wanted to keep I wanted to keep hitting. But uh, you know we ended up winning the game, and that was the um, the futuristic game where it's kind of like turn four of the clock. So yeah. we had those uniforms, and uh, they were pretty cool looking. So uh, that that was that was a fun day. That was a fun day to beat the Angels. So I I am curious when you tell the catcher Matt Wallback, tell him to fucking throw the ball over the plate because that's what I saw. <laughs> Go go through tell him to throw the ball over the plate. What the heck was his reaction? Uh he he, he was caught off guard too. Like he he wasn't expected to have like a conversation. So and I and I I know I think Hasengawa, he did not have an interpreter. So um, uh, but and I and I, I I think he didn't. So he spoke English and I was just basically, hey, you know, go tell him, say, hey, you know what, throw it over the plate, let's go. You know, I got a chance to hit four home runs. I say, don't worry about anything else. Get me out. So, uh, you know, so that you know, that's the kind of you know fun I, I loved. I remember we were in the old stadium in Cleveland, and we were playing Seattle, and I hit three home runs, and so Hargrove took me out, and uh, I was like, Hargrove, you you sure you want to take me out? He said, Oh, you know what? Don't worry about this game. It's over. We're gonna win this game. Well, Seattle ended up tying the game in the top of the ninth. And I would have come up with the bases loaded in the bottom of the ninth. And Thomas Howard had was a defensive replacement for me. And he came up with the bases loaded. And it was like one out. And he ended up striking out. And we ended up losing that game. And Hargrove told me, came up to me after the game. He's like, okay, I'm never taking you out of a game again. <laughs> How the heck does he take you out of a game when you have a chance at four homers? I, th- I think we were we were up like twelve to four, and you know the way that it looked like the lineup, it, it wasn't going to get to me in in the ninth, the bottom of the ninth. And uh, I think Seattle ended up tied. They tied the game, oh. and and Thomas Howard came up with the bases loaded, one out, Hank. bottom of the ninth. Tank Howard, oh man. Um, <laughs> speaking of tanks. 
you hit one in the 95 playoffs against the Red Sox. Kevin Kennedy, the manager, ends up taking your bat, right? We all know what happened the year before in Chicago with the bat and the suspension. When did you realize that they were asking for the bat? Like, did you did you follow the whole story when you were around the bases and then you point to the biceps? You got to give me a little bit on this. Okay, so I think after, you know, I crossed home plate, I was I was walking to the dugout and Hargrove was kind of coming out. And I was like, okay, that's kind of weird. Why is Hargrove coming out? And then by the time I, I took my helmet off and turned around, uh, he was at the plate talking to, you know, the umpires and they compensated the bat. And, uh, you know, so when I saw that in the dugout, you know, I, I was basically screaming a bunch of, you know, bad words. And uh, because we knew we knew the Red Sox, uh, you know, they were the wild card team and we knew they were just going to if they couldn't beat us, they were going to try something to grasp the straw. So we were kind of prepared and ready for everything. And and then if you go back and look at that season, um, um and that was the 94 season. After they checked my bat, I actually performed a lot better. Um, so, uh, and then 95 was just continuation. And, you know, uh, but I, I I was prepared to, to face, um, uh, what's his name, and, and hit a home run. And, and that was the, the series where uh, Mo Vaughn struck out almost every time. Jose Canseco struck out every time. And I was like, well, this is pretty much – you know, the, the, the MVP race right here and he didn't get it hit and we're moving on and, and, uh, but he's, he's still wanted anyway. And we went on to the world series. So, uh, you know, but you know, it was, it was great times, uh, you know, emotions, you know, obviously in the playoffs, emotions were hot. You know, we had faced Roger Clemens. Uh, we had knocked him out of the game. Uh, and, you know, we beat their best. Uh, we went on to, play Seattle we beat Randy Johnson so uh you know it, it was great times and great memories uh so I worked with Kevin Kennedy at Fox Sports years later and I had to ask him about it he goes Chris I didn't want to ask for Albert's bat but every player on, in the dugout was like you have to check his bat he's like oh my god he's gonna be so mad at me but my players are asking me to check the bat I gotta go check the bat yeah like, yeah that that didn't work out too well did it Kev <laughs> so are you yeah. are you able to laugh at the bat incident from the year before because of the Jason Grimsley story of climbing through the ceiling, or does that still strike a nerve with you? No, no, I I laugh about it because, um, you know, during the game, you know, I don't know what happened. You know, you hear stories, and you know, we knew. Uh, you know, the White Sox thought they were the team to beat, but like we were kind of like the new kid on the block. Mm -hmm. And we just knew, you know, since you can't beat us, you're going to try things and you're going to try to, you know, knock us off our game. And uh, I think it's kind of like in San Antonio. Remember, they used to turn the air condition on or turn the air off for LeBron when he came to town and mm -hmm. he couldn't perform. So, it, you know, you had to try something. And, uh, you know, we, that was the year, you know, I wish we didn't go on strike because, you know, we were going to put a beat down on, on the uh, on the White Sox, but we ended up doing it the next year. I mean, we we ran the score up on them. I think we ended up winning division by like 30 games. And, and I mean, like we didn't we didn't we stepped on everybody's throat. Everybody was mad at us. And we were like, 
Well, we didn't see when we lost 100 games. Nobody felt sorry for us, so why should we? We, we, we owe some people. And um, so, th so that's what we did, and that's why a lot of people didn't like us because we were like, well, hey, you got to fight the bully sooner or later, so now's our time to be the bully. So It was the first time in my life where, where we had a, the ability to be cocky. You can't be cocky when you're winning, you're losing a hundred games. <laughs> right, so, right. Like we were like, as Indians fans back then, we were like, shit, what do we like? This is great. I mean, Lofton would, with all his swagger and Bayerga didn't mind chirping. And, you know, you would sit there with the, you know, the scowl on your face. Like we were, I don't think we were a popular team outside of Cleveland, but I like that. You know what, and 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 you, if you go back years before that, you know, 91, 92, 93, we were all young players. But you know what? They said, you know what? Go out and play. Figure out this game. We can't lose forever. Uh, you know, we, we, we made a couple key trades. Uh, we were all young. Uh, I mean, we made mental errors. We made physical errors. But we learned from those. And then you could just see in 94 how it, how it changed like our confidence changed uh we were in this brand new stadium and they were like wow like it's sold out like we got like you know 47,000 fans like this feels good okay now it's you know it's time to go out and perform and you know when the fans are cheering for you it it helps i mean it certainly does help you know take your game to the next level and and then you know we'd go on the road and i mean we, you know we get everybody booze and and that was that was the one thing that I love. It's like I knew, um, you know, even when I came back to Cleveland, like I was going to get the best booze from everybody that has ever given them out. Like, and you know, and that and that's like the big compliment because, you know, and I tell people, you know, you you know, you're not going to waste your booze on like Joey Gallo hitting like 160. You're you're not going to waste your booze on him. You, you know, you you know, you're going to waste your booze on LeBron when he's like, you know dropping 40 on you and, and, and beating you like a drum. So uh. I get it. I get it. Um, do, does anybody ever walk past you and just yell out the name Fernando Vina? And if so, do you turn around? No, no. You know what? Some of my buddies, they'll, they'll, I guess it pops up on Twitter and they'll text me and, and, um, uh, and, you know, I was like, you know what? And I was like, and I tell people, I say, go back and watch that. I said, Fernando Vina, he got up, dusted himself off, and, like, he was going to come after me. And I'm like, bro, it's not going to look good, me whooping up on you. I was like, it's not going to look good. Like, you know, I'm a big guy. You're a little guy. You know, you just need to go back. And, and I told him earlier not to come in the baseline because it happened on Eddie Murray's at bat. The couple innings before, Eddie Murray in the first first at bat, he hits a ground ball to him. And I thought he was going to, Vina was going to take the ball, throw it to second, finish the double play. He comes in the baseline and tags me and they called me off guard. And I was like, oh, don't do that again. Don't do that again. And, you know, sure as shit, Eddie hits the same ground ball. And I was like, oh, crap. And I, I mean, I went down the line and I thought he was going to pitch and he came in and I knocked him. I was like, I told you don't do it. And uh, and it was funny because, you know, he got up, dust himself off. You know, he was talking smack and, you know, you didn't see the trainer run out on the field and you didn't see the umpire issuing warnings and and all this. And, and the umpires just basically, they let 
us police ourselves. They uh, they drilled me, and I go to first base, and then I think we drilled Matheny, and then there was a brawl, and that was pretty much it. They, you didn't even get um, punished for it. You got fined, I think. You weren't suspended, were you? No, no, no. I wasn't suspended. I was fined. And and then, but here's the funny thing: the next week, Chad Cruder does the same thing for the White Sox. He goes, you know, they hit a groundway. He's at first base. He grow. He goes to second. Second baseman comes. He plows, knocks the guy over. Breaks up the double play. The White Sox end up winning the game, and he's a hero. And I was like, "Oh, okay." I was, I was like, "Okay," but um, you know that that's how it went. And and when I got to Chicago in '97, and, and you know Chad Cruder was kind of busting my chops about that. He was like, "You didn't hit him hard enough." That's what it was. <laughs> <laughs> Albert yeah. Bell's become a softy all of a sudden. Yeah. <laughs> Good job. Yeah. Um. I want to finish with this. You mentioned earlier that you didn't have any regrets. With the way that it has now all played out, should you have any regrets? Like, I guess I'm asking this because you're such a pleasant guy to talk to. But I think when people bring up the name Albert Bell, the first thing they don't think of is what a kick-ass player he was. They're like, oh, God, he's that mean guy who did some wrong things like, is, yeah. do, you, do you ever sit there and think about that? You know what? Um, um, you know, I, as far as regrets, I wish I would have had a better relationship with the media in Cleveland, uh, especially with the, you know, the everyday guys, you know, the beat writers that, you know, you had the Hoinsey, the, you know, Ocker and, um, uh, you know, those those three guys that were there every day and, um, you know, especially when, uh, you know, you know, I can you know talk about the bad things as well as the good things. But uh, it was just I, I probably should have put more put forth an effort. I, I did in, in Chicago and Baltimore and uh, but I just did in, in in Cleveland and and I wish I would have. And I know. The thing about playing baseball is like when we started winning, like uh, between spring training and, uh, you know, going to these new stadiums, like we saw like a lot of celebrities and like, you know, all these like um, uh, other sports figures and stuff. And and I wish I would have taken pictures with all of them that I, I met. Um, and, uh, you know. Obviously, if there was nowadays, you know, you know, we have, you know, TikTok and, you know, you know, Instagram and, you know, your selfies and stuff. And I could have posted all that stuff and taken pictures. But I wish I would have done the same thing because um, I, I met some some, you know, back then they were old school players, you know, like the Ted Williams, you know, the Pee Wee Reese, the Rod Carews, mm. you know, the Larry Dobies. You know, you could just go up to them and 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 sit down and hug them and talk baseball, and uh, you know they'd come in the dugout and and we'd all you know share stories in spring training and uh, you know and that was the great thing about spring training and that was the great thing about baseball is you saw these old timers, and then now you know it's like a different story like um, you know 
these these players nowadays, they don't know the history of the game. They don't know. I mean, like if I walked into, uh, you know, somebody's locker room, they'd be like, well, who is this guy? Like, you know, but we knew like when Reggie Jackson walked in, we're like, hey, Reggie, like what's going on? Like, what are you doing in here? Like, you're supposed to be over there with the A's, you know. So, you know, we all kind of busting each other's chops. But, uh, you know, we just all get along. We all knew who, you know, these old timers were. And, and uh, you know, and and that was the, the one regret is I wish I would have, you know, taken pictures uh, with those guys and, and been a little bit more accommodating with the uh, with the Cleveland media. Fair enough. Who was the guy who was the one old timer you had a chance to sit down with that really sat with you? Because you just mentioned some ballers. Yeah. Uh, when when Larry Doby would come to town, um, mostly uh, I remember Rod Carew worked a couple of spring trainers with mm-hmm. us. You know, he had some great stories. Uh, you know, when, you know, when Winfield played for us, uh, you know, you know, when we played the Dodgers, you know, you see P. Ree Reese. Um, God. Um, Did you really meet Ted Williams? Yeah, I got inducted into, I was one of the, it was the first year he inducted hitters into his little Hall of Fame. And we went down there and I got a green jacket and everything. What would you just win the Masters? A green jacket? Well, it, it was it was his Ted Williams Hall of Fame jacket, and and uh, you know he 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 sit down and and I'm and you know we talk baseball, and I'm like you know it, it's pretty simple. I was like I'm I'm sitting fastballs, like I don't want to miss any fastballs, and and uh, and I was like I, I know you're the same way. Like I mean he had an incredible eyesight. Um, but you know, he wasn't sitting there trying to like take any fastballs. I mean, he was trying to do damage and, you know, he put up some, some big numbers and, uh, you know, and then, you know, in spring training, we always saw Bob fellow. We always, you know, had shared great memories with him and, and, uh, you know, we, you know, we kind of teased him a little bit, but he was, you know, he was fun about it. Cause you know, we were like, yeah, you, you know, you were th- only throwing about like 90 miles an hour, you know, you weren't throwing a hundred, but you know. If they'd have had radar guns, you'd only been throwing 90. Like, we'd, we'd like lit you up and stuff. And, you know, he laughed and giggled. So, you know, but the, the old timers, they were great. They had some great stories. And, uh, you know, from, you know, uh, you know, I had a chance, you know, like Goose Gossage, uh, you know, Winfield. So they had all the, you know, the Steinbrenner and the Yankee craziness stories. And, uh, you know, so you can just go around, the, you know, the teams and, you know, we, you know, we'd see uh, Ken Griffey Sr. and, you know, we talked to him and, you know, I mean, it's just like a long list of, of old timers that, uh, you know, we were just, you know, happy to see and, you know, share stories with them. Yeah, that's awesome. I know that Kenny Lofton always tells that Dr. Freeze story about you breaking the uh, air conditioning. How cold do you keep it in your house in Arizona when it's hot? Um, Actually... Um, the house I'm in now, what I did was I got it double insulated. Oh, okay. So, uh, you know, it, it stays, it stays pretty cool. I think in the summertime it's like 78, but it's like, uh, it's like, yeah, it's like an ice box at 78. It's cool. All right, good. No need to, no need to break the uh, thermostat on that one. No, you you don't want to, you don't want to, (laughs) because Yeah, they, yeah, these are expensive thermostats. <laughs> and, and re- yeah, these repair men are more expensive too to come out. 
Uh, this was a blast. I really, really enjoyed it. Thanks for taking me on a trip down memory lane. And uh, it was really, this was a fun hour for me, man. This was, this really was. And I hope you know that uh, when we bring up the name Albert Bell in, in Cleveland sports circles, that we don't think about the guy who left and went to Chicago and all that sort of stuff. We think about the guy who rejuvenated his city and, and put ba- baseball on the map for an entire couple of generations of fans. So thanks. Well, you you didn't show my one highlight, the uh, the the history making highlight with the with the fiftieth homer. Well, why you don't we do that? that? Why you don't had we had that video? Okay. Yeah, first ever fifty fifty guy in a season. This was this is it against Kansas City, I do believe, right? Yeah, that was is this kid was named Bunch. He was he was a, a rookie that they they called up. First pitch, he threw. You know, I'd never faced this guy. He threw one right down the middle. Um, I took it. You know. And then the second pitch, he threw it pretty much in the same spot, fouled it straight back. And, uh, you know, I thought he was going to waste an 0-2 pitch, and he threw it right down right down Peach Street and, and uh, you know, knocked it out the stadium. And, and um, I mean, this, you know, this was exciting. This was, you know, to realize, uh, you know, being the first player, you know, there's video Joe, there's Frank. You know, to be the you know the first and the only player to do that in, in major league history, and uh, you know, but you look at those those great teammates. I mean, that was a great uh, group of guys that that helped me, you know, be successful. And and then there's Slider. Uh, you know, he was a cool cat too. I like Slider. Yeah, <laughs> dude, look at Alvaro Espinosa. By the way, don't sleep on him trying to steal your. Um... Your, your curtain call. He came out yeah. and wanted to put his hands up. That is typical uh, Alvaro Espinosa. Yeah, that, that is. That's true, Alvy. Yeah. <laughs> Look at him trying to steal, <laughs> steal the. That's great. That's great. Well, listen, man, this was, uh, as I said, a ton of fun. I really appreciate it. Keep sending me your text when we're talking about your Minnesota Vikings. All right. Yeah. It's, it's another heartbreaking year. Well, you know, listen, maybe not next a, year. Well, not every we always say. Not every team can make the playoffs when you start four quarterbacks. Only the Cleveland Browns can. Okay, <laughs> let you know. I'm gonna, I know, I'm gonna right? Keep, I'm going to keep talking shit on that text chain to you about the Vikings. I'm just letting you know. Okay, all right, all right, I'll be ready. You. And don't be a stranger. All right. Okay, all right. Thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. For our amazing producer, Robbie Chiracco, and the legendary Albert Bell, I am Chris Rose. We will see you next time here on the Chris Rose Rotation, a production of John Boy Media.